World Wide Web and its affiliated podcasting stations present Harvey Knight and the Paperback Theater on the Air. Ladies and gentlemen, the unimaginative, entirely true beginnings of Charles Craven by Harvey Knight. Okay, so I'll start at the beginning. I mean, where else do you start? I don't really remember much about my birth. I like to assume that it was all very normal, but I can't be entirely sure. Understandably, it wasn't exactly a topic of discussion that my parents were eagerly giving detailed descriptions about throughout my life. Honestly, if they told me that I'd hatched from a scaled egg delivered by a grizzled mage on the winter solstice to some distant moon, that wouldn't be entirely surprising after considering the complete lack of detail I have concerning the event. In fact, I'm not convinced that this isn't the way that I was brought into existence, to which the remainder of my life will stand as a testament. Really, the first few years of my life were mostly a wash. Typical smatterings of the boring and tedious baby-carrying practices with a wide assortment of different substances produced by my body which my mother and father, regrettably, had to repeatedly subject themselves. I think this stands as a particularly telling trait of my parents, that either they loved me enough to care for me so, or that they were so dutifully fulfilling some evolutionary obligation that dictated their spawn not be covered in ick. However, just like I don't remember much about my birth, the first few years are pretty spotty as well. So just as I have assumed a normal birth, I've also assumed a normal infancy. The last bit about being clean of ick is yet another assumption I've made based on observation of others caring for their brood, and very well could be in no way indicative of my own upbringing. For all I know, my parents might have spent those days dangling me from volcanoes only to discover I was impervious to their destructive power, or seeking out idols of power to summon gods through my sacrifice, but only being swindled into slavery as trapeze artists for some satanic cult of circus folk, and escaping when that circus was brought down by their rival traveling carnival. Or, I could have spent months being licked by lions, so that when they rediscovered me in my later life, they would hunger for my flesh. Again, this period wasn't one of discussion for my parents and I, and I haven't asked them about that either. Part of me just doesn't want to know. If I'm being honest, this little discussion will actually be more a series of assumptions like this, rather than like, you know, actual verifiable facts. So I suggest you strap in if you're here for the long haul. In one of the bits I mentioned before, at least I think I mentioned it. I'm not exactly sure, and I'm not about to backtrack for the sake of your context. Anyway, I mentioned that my parents dutifully caring for me was telling of their character, which in fact it very well may have been if I had had any way of saying for certain that that was what they did, and that was the reason why they did it. You might ask, why don't you just ask your parents, to which I say, if your parents didn't actually care for you as an infant child, why on earth would they ever admit to it? I can assume that my parents were caring because they loved me, just as well as I can assume that they begrudgingly cleaned and fed me at irregular intervals because they were under court order to do so. In that same spirit, I am justified in assuming any number of otherwise irrational and outlandish explorations of whatever my earliest childhood may or may not have included. Again, I'm pretty sure I'm reasonably referencing things I've talked about before. Insert your own timestamp here. But all these assumptions come under the grandest and most permissive of all reasoning. I don't know. It's this misinformation. Uninformation? I'm not entirely sure that that's a word, but that's what I want to say, so there. This uninformation that has led me to conclude that sometimes ignorance is in fact bliss. 
Because however well and normal you think the answer to your questions may be, there is equal chance that the reality of the truth behind whatever answer you've been given is in fact far more unimaginably horrifying and absurd to even allow a passing thought. Confusing, huh? Exactly. Answers are horrifying. But even though I can't speak as to whether they were always such, as I got to know them later in the life that I recall, my parents are fine people. My father being a man and my mother being a woman and the two getting along very well with each other and with myself in a decent manner that I assume, again, must be typical of the people in our station. That is, they're normal. Or at least I thought them to be normal during my upbringing. They gave no indication that I was to think otherwise. I don't think it's common practice to give your children reason to doubt your normalcy, at least on a regular basis. There always comes at least one moment in each child's life where they have to question just how strange their parent is slash parents are in comparison to someone else's. I mean, I assume. My earliest memories are hazy, and I mean that as literally as possible. I recall a fine mist in almost all those recollections, like an eerily supernatural staple following me that was caused by either a humidifier or a bubbling cauldron. I can't be sure which. For those that are unaware, haze actually obscures vision, so I'm certainly not just misremembering. I suppose it doesn't help that nearly all those memories take place in the dark, under cover of night. Voices seem to be constant in them as well, either from the television or an exorcism. I can never be sure through the walls of my nursery. But this all seemed very normal to me. After all, I didn't have much else to compare it to in my few short years. But the one thing I remember most clearly about those hazy, dark, muffled memories was the distinct sense of not knowing fear. Of all the staggeringly few concepts that have wormed their way into my consciousness, my young mind had wrapped firmly around that one, which was in itself confusing as fear was not one of those ideas I knew. I simply knew that I did not know it, and that that was to be my strength. Of course, this epiphany was all rendered meaningless a week later, when my mother took me to the park near my home, and a Labrador puppy licked me, searing terror into my mind and crippling me with a paralyzing fear of dogs and parks. But that park near my home has since been bulldozed to make way for a peanut glue factory, which is one of the lesser known uses discovered by George Washington Carver. But I have survived this long, unscathed but for a scar on my ankle and a few allergies. The Labradors actually lived into his 30s, which is remarkable but infuriating to me that I've yet to outlive him and show my superiority. And it occurs to me that one of my allergies is actually to peanuts, so in a way the park is still winning, which is way more infuriating. Anyway, bulldozed along with the park has gone my childhood home, which I assume, of course, was akin to the surrounding structures of wood and vinyl side paneling, forming the quaintest and folksiest of constructs which any small child could ever hope for in a home. The house, however, could also well have been a towering manor with menacing gargoyles and jutting towers that called down lightning from the heavens on even the brightest and clearest of days. The door could have been carved from the last surviving planks of a hangman's tree, with a brass knocker forged in the form of a griffin with a small woodland creature in its claws. The lawn might have been overrun with brambles and a thicket near the rear, from which haunting whispers could always be heard. Of course, I'll never know the truth, because the whole of it was tumbled to the ground and cleared away long before I even had thoughts to properly process the estate that had been my only home to that point. By now, a few listening may be asking, Why, dear sir, do you not have any pictures, any photographic evidence, the very which may dispel all your odd thoughts of what might have been? I'm obviously being eloquent for effect. There's absolutely no way you've ever had a thought that well-formed in your entire life. But this, to which I would respond to the ignorant and ill-informed millennials that asked in the first place, 
Do you even know what life was like before you were born? Odds are, you're living in an age where technology abounds, and people spend inordinate amounts of time capturing photos of the most nothing moments of their life, and then releasing them into the wild of the general population, who never even cared to know that you, nor your nothing moment, ever even existed. My point is, you have absolutely no idea of knowing for certain that the world even existed before it was blighted by your existence. So take a moment and find out what it was like. If it was even like anything. Cameras weren't always quite so abundant, and people hardly took the time to take photos of themselves or their families, let alone constantly capture their mundane, everyday lives to document for the eternities and the superior species that will ultimately wipe us out and hardly regard our history. In the end, no one cares. My parents certainly didn't. Not a single photo of my first home exists in the world. My first ice cream cone was followed with unwelcome news for a three-year-old. They're getting a baby brother. I was a particularly precocious child once I was capable of forming actual thoughts, so I'd long before noticed that my mother had begun to swell. Even though I, I had attributed it at the time to the sorts of gases they put in balloons. So while I was relieved that my mother wouldn't pop, as I was horrified to discover that balloons sometimes did, I was much less content with the news that some new creature called a brother would be attached to me in some way. I assumed. I began at a very early age, and it's so very hard to stop when you've started so young. I assumed that I was to receive some sort of pet the way my parents went about it, and with obvious difficulty, my father tried to explain that a parasite had grown inside my mother, and that sometime soon it would force its way out. But it was completely inexplicable to me why once it had been released, my parents would then take time and attention away from me to dedicate to the new parasite. And of course, I responded with tears and loud wailing, as is the only appropriate response to such a revelation. And then, my brother, the Parasite, had the audacity to not only steal away my parents and their reason for the way of life, me, of course, but he went so far as to steal away my birthday. I stood in the hospital, paper crowns still atop my head for my preschool class, swept away from cupcakes because the horrid child had been born late the night before. I clutched the new teddy bear I had received, whom I had immediately dubbed Wilhelm, though to this day I still can't recall why. And standing there, I trembled both in fear, because it had never released me, and anger. I was afraid of what the parasite would look like, but I longed to begin inflicting its punishment. My father hoisted me up to my mother's bedside, where she was cradling a bundle of soft cloth. She began turning it toward me, and then I clung to my father's chest for safety in the event that the creature leapt out at me, though my father would have likely sided with a parasite anyway. And with a whimper, I peered through the blankets at the brother. It was more horrifying than anything I had ever imagined. It was swollen and bug-eyed with awkward lumps and wrinkled features, and I watched as it, it opened its mouth to reveal a deep, black hole and a soundless roar that chilled me. I began crying again to my parents' dismay. My grandmother was the only one who managed to quiet me. And of course I had a grandmother, we've all got a few. Just because I haven't mentioned her to this point doesn't mean she didn't exist. And unlike everyone else, I'm certain my grandmother was always wonderful. You don't get to be that lovely by chance or experience. You're just born that way. She sat with me in a waiting area, asking me questions about my new teddy bear when my father approached us. I looked at him distrustfully and wrapped my grandmother's arm around me more tightly. It's okay, bud. He chuckled derisively. I get it already. He squatted down to look me in the eyes and made a rotten promise. 
He's not there anymore. It's just your mom inside. Will you come see her? And I readily agreed, relieved that they had decided to dispose of the parasite and continue on with the way life should have always been. But all too soon, that illusion was broken when my father tried one last time for my acceptance by taking me to the viewing room where they had not just my mother's parasite, but a whole nest of them settled away in down blankets. Not even the pane of glass between us was enough to comfort me. But that sight was nothing compared to the sting of betrayal I felt that my parents had not only chosen to keep the brother, but that my father had lied to me that it was gone. And just like that, my childhood was over and my family had disappeared. And from then on, I knew it was going to have to be me against the world. Remember, 5.30pm Central Standard Time next Wednesday for the next episode. Same time, same station. This is the Paperback Theatre. Thank you.